What's up, y'all? I'm jumping on real quick to ask you all to do me a favor. If you are a listener of my podcast, make sure to leave me a review. I don't care if you've been listening from day one or if this is your first time listening. Go ahead and leave a review on whatever platform you're listening to. Why? Well, the obvious reason is, of course, I want to hear from you all and I want to know how the episodes are landing with you. But the more important reason is when you leave a review, it helps other people to find my podcast. So ultimately, you are joining me in the quest to helping others become more culturally aware by spreading the word and helping them to walk a day in my culture. So after you hear this episode, take a few minutes at the end and leave me a review. I'm thanking you in advance for being part of making cultural change, one listen at a time and one review at a time. Alrighty, let's jump into the podcast. Ida B. Wells Barnett, 1862-1931 Ida B. Wells Barnett was a co-founder of the NAACP, an anti-lynch crusader and a most courageous Black woman journalist. She was born of slave parents in Holly Springs, Mississippi in 1862. At age 14, she was orphaned by a yellow fever epidemic. Despite this adversity, she managed to attend Rusk College and Fisk University. From 1884 to 1891, she taught segregated public school in Memphis, Tennessee, and began writing articles for the Free Speech, a Black newspaper. In 1891, the Memphis Board of Education fired her because her articles were too fiery and controversial. Afterwards, she acquired a partnership in the free speech, became its editor, and traveled throughout the southern states. Miss Wells was strong-willed and spirited. Once, when asked to leave the white section of a train, she flatly refused and had to be forcefully removed by three conductors. She sued and won $500 in damages, but the decision was later reversed. She became an outspoken antagonist against the senseless murders, i.e. lynchings, of Blacks. When a friend, Thomas Moss, and two other Black businessmen were lynched for defending their property, she wrote an editorial identifying the murderers and demanded that they be brought to justice. Later, writing under a pen name, Iola, she published a shocking, detailed expose on the activities of the lynch mobs. The same night the expose appeared in the free speech, her printing office was vandalized and all the equipment and copies of the free speech were destroyed. She went to New York where she joined the staff of the New York Age, edited by T. Thomas Fortune, and began a fervent crusade against lynching. She made several trips to Europe to publicize the facts about lynching. Her speeches were well covered by English newspapers, which drew villainous attacks from white newspapers in the United States. In, 19, in 1895, excuse me, Miss Wells published a red record, a serious statistical treatment of tragic lynchings in the United States, which could not be refuted. She discredited the myth that black men were lynched because they raped white women. The fact was, she stated, they were murdered. 
as were her friends, because whites felt that blacks were, quote, too uppity and too successful. In her appeal to President William McKinley for support, she stated, quote, nowhere in the civilized world, save in the United States, do men go out in bands of 50 to 5,000 to hunt down, shoot, hang, or burn to death a single individual unarmed and absolutely powerless, end quote. In 1895, Miss Wells married Fernandard Barnett, an attorney and a Chicago newspaper owner, and later bore four children. Together, they used their newspaper to expose injustice perpetrated against Blacks. Mrs. Barnett became frustrated that violence against Blacks was growing and that nothing was being done. Once, when investigating a lynching in Cairo, Illinois, she found the Black townspeople too afraid to protest. Alone, she went to the State House in Springfield to argue against the reinstatement of the sheriff who had permitted the murder. For more than a day, she pleaded her case against the best lawyers in Southern Illinois and won. That was the last of the lynchings in the state of Illinois. Mrs. Ida B. Wells Barnett was perhaps the most famous black female journalist of her time. She was a correspondent for the Mississippi Watchman, Detroit Plain Dealer, Indianapolis World, and the Little Rock Sun, to name a few. Mr. T. Thomas Fortune, a noted black editor of the time, said, quote, she has become famous as one of the few of our women who handle a goose quill with diamond point as easily as any man in the newspaper work, end quote. Mrs. Barnett was cited as one of the 25 outstanding women in Chicago's history, and one of its history projects bears her name. She died in 1931. Hello, 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 hello. Welcome to another episode of Walk a Day in My Culture. This is a podcast where I help you increase your cultural awareness by talking about the daily experiences I have as a Black woman. Y'all know the mantra, I believe that if you can really hear my experiences, you can hypothetically walk a day in my culture and that will help you to literally walk on the path of increasing your cultural awareness. So let's get into today's episode. It is the very, very first Black History Month episode on the first Wednesday of Black History Month. I'm so excited. Um, So this episode is entitled, This Been In Me. And I just want y'all to kick your feet up. Um, This is a very special kickoff to Black History Month. Y'all know every episode I got to tell a story. So today ain't no different. This will be a little lengthy story, but it's a juicy story that's going to take some twists and some turns. It's going to take a little time for it to unfold and connect, but it's a good story. So bear with me. But before we get into the actual episode, let me just um, kind of explain the reading that I did at the top of the episode. I am going to be doing this um, for each episode. So let me just explain. Um, I'll be reading from this little booklet that I have. It is so 
old, y'all. Like, I'm about to for real date myself. Ugh, but it's okay. Um, but this little booklet is so old. It was uh, written in 1984. <laughs> so it's 36 years old, right? And it's going to make sense in a little bit like why I still got this book, right? Um, But I just want y'all to know how things are gonna be structured for a bit. So each episode, I am going to be reading two, um, reading about two historical black people from this little booklet, right? I'm gonna do one at the top of the show, and then I'm gonna do one that I'm gonna embed in the commercials. So it's like an incentive for y'all to like sit there and listen to all the commercials because you won't get the second historical black person unless you listen to the commercials, right? And so that's how we're gonna be doing it. But the most exciting thing about this little booklet is I am going to be doing this for a whole year though, y'all. Like a whole year. Year. Yes, you heard me correct. I am going to be reading about two historical black people, different people for a whole year. So if it's a regular episode, it's going to be two people. If it's a bonus episode, it's going to be two people. And I'm going to do that for the whole year because I just believe that Black History Month should not just be celebrated once a year for the shortest year of the month. I'm sorry, for the shortest month of the year. I'm getting all excited. But I just believe that we need to be celebrating Black History year round. And so the best way to do that is to just have these two historical Black people, different people, every single episode for a whole year, all the way through February of 2021. I'm claiming it. I'm doing it. And that's what is going to happen. So make sure that y'all listen to the top of the episode and you listen to all of the commercials so that you can hear the second historical black person. I'm very, very excited about this. Um, so yeah. So where did I get these little books from? Right. And that is like a perfect segue into what inspired today's episode. So again, my episode for today is entitled This Been In Me. And by that, I mean my love and my passion for Blackness, me being aware of Blackness and kind of the adversities that we face and the beauty that is really just unique to the Black culture. Um, And I wouldn't say that it started with these little booklets because I have more than one, which is why I am able to like spread this out for a year. And truth be told, I did the math. It's 175 different black people that are historic. So I can just go on and on and on past February of 2021, which I might actually just do. Right. But again, let me digress. I wouldn't say that this passion in me came from these little booklets, but these little booklets definitely played a role in me just really learning and understanding the value of blackness, the beauty of blackness. And again, just the truth about what we go through as black people, which is oppression and discrimination and racism. And so 
where did I get these little books from, right? Which was the question I asked a few minutes ago. So my grandmother got these books for me. And so if you guys follow me on Instagram, I posted a picture a couple of days ago, actually to my Instagram and to my Instagram stories of these little booklets. And I asked people and ain't none of y'all responded, but y'all sure was looking at my story. I wish y'all would just respond to my question in my story instead of just looking at it. Just tap the button, answer the question. Anyway, I digress again, but (laughs) I posted the picture of them on there and I asked people who remembers these because this was like a big thing in the 80s. So my grandma got these little booklets for me. And when I really think about my grandmother, she played a pivotal role um, in my awareness of blackness and black issues, which I'll get into a little bit more today. But I first want to get into these little books. So McDonald's had these booklets and they had them in Happy Meals, right? (laughs) And so like, who would have thought, right? Like, Normally you get a toy, you know, unhealthy meal and a sweet, you know, if you was lucky that day in the eighties, but I, McDonald's just had this random thing that didn't happen for long. So a lot of folks that grew up at the same time as me don't remember these books. Cause it was like so quick and it was such a quick turnaround, which really just shows you just kind of how things are done in the black community and how little people want us to know even when something is done it's not done for a long time but it was of course during black history month and every happy meal you got this little book and so my grandma it was her mission for me to get every single one of these little booklets I ain't got so many happy meals in my life right and so I really want to say I was about eight years old because I was living on 22nd Avenue and going to Garfield. So I had to be about eight. Um, And when these little books came out, and again, my, my grandma had a vendetta. She was serious about these little books. She made sure I didn't get no duplicate book. And I got all eight of them. It was a total of eight volumes of these little booklets. And each volume covered a different topic in regards to blackness. And so for the next couple of weeks, I'll be reading from volume one. Of course, I'm gonna go in order. And that volume is called A Salute to Historic Black Women. And I just find it so ironic that the very first person um, listed in volume one was Ida B. Wells. And I think it's ironic for several reasons. Let me just break this down for y'all. Number one, The grandma that I'm referring to, and I will be referring to throughout this podcast, her name is Josie. That was my mother's mother. But my father's mother's name was Ida, (laughs) right? So I found that ironic. And then just learning more about her and kind of refreshing my memory because, you know, I'm learning and refreshing as I share with y'all too, because remember, you ain't never too well versed to either learn, refresh your memory, combination of the two. And so I am getting, you know, again, more knowledge about uh, Miss Ida B. Wells. And so the second reason I found that this was so ironic in a good way is just her fieriness. And the fieriness that Ida had, 
I can totally relate to. I was like amazed and really proud to be reading about how Ida was doing the damn thing and she wasn't taking no stuff from nobody. So that is a woman after my own heart. She wasn't playing. She wasn't playing with the white folks and she just wasn't playing about justice for black people and she didn't care and she said what she had to say. I can relate to her. I'm like, okay, little Ida spirit in me, you know, both from my father's side and from my ancestors, right? Um, so again, these little books have always been in my memory and ingrained in me. And I never really read them all um, because they're pretty hefty, as you can see, <laughs> for an elementary kid to be reading. But I really always cherish them. And I think I cherish them because it's one of the sweetest memories that I have of my grandma Josie. Um, if you all know me personally, you know that this particular grandma, she was she was mean. I mean, God rest her soul, loved her, but she just, she was mean. But as I reflect, what would you expect from a woman that had the life that she had? So number one, her mom died when she was 10. Um, she was from Little Rock, Arkansas. So I mean, there that go, like with all that was happening in the South. Uh, with black folks. And she had three kids by the time she was 19. I mean, my grandma legitimately had a really, really tough life. And so when I came along, even though I was her only granddaughter out of seven boys, she was not warm and fuzzy with me. She was, she was tough and like rough. And I'm just like, can I just get some sweetness? And so I think that's one reason I cherish these books because it was a sweet thing. It was a really sweet gesture. It took time. She was very intentional about it. But now that I look back, even though my grandma might've been fussy and mean, I really, really realize now as like an adult and like a grown, grown woman that got the clinical eye, just being a black woman and now being a mother, she was actually very informative. So even though she was fussy and grumpy, she really had the best intentions um, for me and all her grandchildren. And so I remember, you know, back on this train of like blackness and value in blackness, she would always fuss at my mom for when she, my mom would buy me white dolls and she would tell my mom, don't bring them white dolls in this house. And, you know, growing up, I kind of had this whole thing in my head, you know, being young and coming into preteen and all that stuff. It's just kind of like, well, I don't go to school with only white kids and, uh, you know, my dolls should be diverse, you know? And so it kind of was like me thinking, having that thought and sometimes having that conversation with my mom. But then when you really, really think about it, even though that might've been harsh for her to tell my mom, don't bring them white dolls up in this house, you got to remember the time in which my grandma grew up. And so again, back to the informative and this always being in me, just realizing that she vividly can remember Malcolm X and uh, Martin Luther King. And I remember, you know, times where she would talk about actually watching the news and kind of like finding out that he died. I don't remember if she was watching his speech and saw on TV Martin Luther King get assassinated or if she heard about it. But whichever, however it turned out, that had a really huge impact on my grandmother. I remember her saying like that she, you know, cried and just was devastated when this happened. Of course, all black people were, right? But for me, 
My grandma, again, tough, mean woman, to hear that she cried when this black man got assassinated, that registers something for me. Because my grandma wasn't a crier. Like, you ain't gonna catch her crying. You know what I mean? That's just not what she did. And so she grew up around white folks that could care less about about black people. And so she was hyper vigilant to the fact that she wanted her granddaughter to have black dolls and to cherish her blackness and for it to not be kind of muddled with like these white dolls that might be viewed as, you know, more pretty or more beautiful or more desired um, than the black doll. And as a mom now, um, and even before I became a mom, but definitely now as a mom, I can see where my grandma coming from. I ain't saying my child ain't gonna have no white dolls, but look, she go start off with a plethora of black dolls and people can feel however they want to feel about that inclusion, exclusion, whatever language y'all want to use. But my child is going to grow up knowing that her blackness is beautiful from her skin tone to her hair, to the way she talked, to the way she carried herself, to the way her body is built. And I'm just going to have her surrounded by images and things that look like her and she ain't white. So she ain't going to be surrounded by a bunch of white dolls. That's just what it is. Oh, well. And so, again, my grandma was very, very hyper vigilant to these things. um, And she noticed a lot of stuff. And so there's another piece that I will never forget. And then I'm going to take a quick little commercial break and we go come back. But I will never forget. Lord Jesus, grandma, rest your soul. Um, We were in the old school longs drugstore which is now cvs and this white man ran me over with his shopping cart you know like bumped me all out the way he didn't say excuse me or anything he just went on to what he was doing and my grandma hauled off and kicked that man in his butt and it wasn't like a tap like she did a straight karate kick of him And went off on him and was like, you didn't see my granddaughter right there? You know, don't be running over my granddaughter. You better learn to say excuse me. And she just went off on this man. But again, looking back at it, hindsight is 2020. This was right on and right around the time when Rodney King had been beaten by a bunch of those, you know, a bunch of the white cops. And because I was thinking as I was doing the podcast and I was looking at the time frame, because it's still all of this is around me being, you know, around age uh, eight, um, somewhere around that age. And I looked it up and Rodney King was in 91 when he got beaten and all those riots and stuff started happening. And so my grandma just was, she wasn't for it. She wasn't for none of the stuff. And to me, it, this just showed that the mindset of the importance to respect my race of being a black girl in this society and just respecting blackness. Um, and so I'm going to take a break for a minute, give y'all, give y'all a couple of seconds. Um, and then I'm going to come back and I'm going to kind of finish up my elementary school days, go into how this happened, um, like stuff continuing to be in me about my blackness through high school and college. And then I'm going to just, you know, hopefully just share a little bit of tips with you all about, you know, what I've done with my passion and maybe it will help you to, you know, work towards your passion of being culturally aware. So take a moment, 
Um, go on here, like I said, get you something to drink. Get your feet kicked up, position yourself, run to the restroom, get you a snack, and then come back uh, for a little bit. We go finish up these stories, and I'm going to try to tie it all together for y'all, and that's going to be our episode. So remember, listen to all the commercials because we have the historic black person number two that is embedded in the commercials. Alrighty, I'll be right back. Hey, you guys, this is the section of the commercial break where I will be giving you all some updates on what's happening with my business. I encourage you to listen to this commercial and the rest of the commercials because I have also included some pretty cool cultural announcements within some of the other commercials that you'll hear today. So you don't want to miss those announcements. And just so that you know, my business updates in this section of the commercial break, they will change over time um, and throughout some of the episodes because depending on what's happening with my business, there may be some new events taking place that I want to let you all know about. So make sure to listen to all the commercials so that you know what's happening with my business. Okay, so what is Narissa up to? Well, first of all, I am blooming into my best self. And second of all, I want to help you do the same. That is why I have some really, really important and exciting dates that I want you all to save and mark on your calendar. So get your notepads ready, get your iPhones ready, get your Androids ready, because I'm getting ready to give you three days that are super exciting and that you should just make note of. You ready? All right. So the very first day that I want you guys to mark on your calendar is February the 28th. That is the day that my fourth newsletter edition will be released. Yes, fourth is what I said. One, two, three, four. Um, It is available for pre-order right now on my website www.bloomintoyourbestself.com. If you are not familiar with my newsletter edition books, you should simply kind of go over on my website and take a look at what they entail. Basically, they are just a collection of all the newsletters I have written for that year, plus extra cultural topics or extra cultural tips that have never been released and that will only be released in the newsletter edition book for that year. Um, So you should check them out if you haven't already. I'm super excited to share with y'all the 2019 edition of my newsletter. I am intentionally waiting until the last Friday of February because I think it's important to start honoring Black History Month and celebrating Blackness past February. So the best way to do this and the best way to encourage and promote that we deserve to be honored more than just one month a year is by releasing my book at the last Friday, close to the very last day at the end of the month that will lead into the following month and will lead to people being more culturally aware and celebrating Blackness throughout the year. So Again, go ahead and pre-order this. It is available now for pre-order. So go to my website and check it out. The next date 
is very, very exciting. I'm so excited to share this with you guys. I can't wait. Okay. So September 18th, that is the day I am going to be releasing my book, which is entitled Understanding and Working Within the Issues in the Black Community. You can go ahead on and pre-order this book on my website. This is such an exciting announcement for me because it's something I have been working on for so long that not nobody except my husband knows about. And I am finally able and ready to release this to you guys. So if you are wondering if this book is for you, yes, it is. Let me tell you why. If you want to know how to effectively work with the African uh, American community, this is the book for you. If you are wondering how can I build an authentic relationship with the black people that I serve, this is the book for you. If you want to know how to be culturally appropriate when interacting with us and how to establish our trust, this is the book for you. And even if you black, okay, this is the book for you because it will validate your experience It will be a point of reference and evidence for you to share with people who might question the way you work with your community. And you ain't never too well versed to tighten up your skills as someone who works with the community and looks like the community. So no matter who you are, go ahead and pre-order my book because it is the book for you. Okay. And the final date that I want you guys to put on your calendar is another very, very, very exciting thing that I am releasing. Okay. So you ready? Final date is November the 6th. This is the day that I am going to release my cultural edition planner. Many of you guys know that I make planners. Um, I have been making them for a while now. Many of you have ordered my planners, but finally I have developed a planner that will help you to plan not only your day, but plan how you can increase your cultural awareness throughout the year. This is available for pre-order on my website also, which is again, www.bloomintoyourbestself.com. And just go ahead and pre-order it because you have nothing to lose. Who better to help you plan your days and plan how to increase your cultural awareness and remind you that you need to be culturally aware, not once a month, not one time a year for February, but every single day of the year. So go ahead, pre-order. All right, y'all. Thanks so much for listening to this business update. These are the current announcements for my business. Feel free to check out the details of what I just described on my website. You can find details about these things under the books and products tab. And that's where you will be able to pre-order one, if not all, of the items that I have just described because they are bound to help you bloom into your best self. Have you ever wanted to receive services that truly consider your culture first? 
I mean, like, really considered your culture first. Not in a surface or fluffy way, but in a very deep, rich, and validating way. Well, look no further. My husband and I have finally put our brains together on how we can provide services that consider your culture first. At Culture First Family Therapy and Training Services, we offer an array of services that help people truly become more culturally aware. From the trainings and workshops we develop and offer, to the consultations we provide, to training our supervisees to use their cultural lens when providing services to people of color, we believe in putting culture first. Go check out our website and the services that we offer over at www.culturefirst with the number one.org. Again, that website is www.culturefirst.org. C U L T U R E, the number one. ST.org. We are so excited about this and we just look forward to helping you embark on the journey of cultural awareness by learning how to put culture first. Mary Jane McLeod Bethune, 1875 to 1955. Mary Jane McLeod Bethune has left her mark indelibly printed upon the walls of time as an outstanding educator, a giant of race relations, advisor to U.S. presidents, and the first black woman in the United States to establish a school that became a four-year accredited college. She was born to slave parents, Sam and Patsy McLeod, in Maysville, South Carolina in 1875. Of 17 children, only she was born this side of slavery. She was a pillar of strength with perpetual drive and force. By courage, faith, and perseverance, she was able to elevate herself to a respected position. This great woman came from the humblest of backgrounds. She raised herself from the cotton fields of South Carolina to the position of White House advisor. As a child, she had a strong desire for knowledge, but there were no schools in Maysville. It was not until she reached age 11 that a school opened some five miles from her home and she walked the distance daily. After graduation, she was awarded a small scholarship by a white woman in Denver, Colorado, who wanted to help one black child attain more education. Mary was selected and went on to attend Scottish Seminary in, in Concord, excuse me, North Carolina, where she graduated in 1893. Because she longed to become a missionary to Africa, she journeyed to Chicago, Illinois to study at the Moody Bible Institute. As soon as she graduated, she went to New York to ask the Presbyterian Board of Missions for a position in Africa. The mission board felt that she was too young and told her there was no opening at the time. The greatest disappointment of my life, she described it. Those were cruel days. She later accepted a teaching position and married Albertus Bethune. The couple had a son, Albert. In 1904, with the ever-present desire to educate others and a dollar and 50 cent, she founded a school for girls in Daytona Beach, Florida. Her student body consisted of her four-year-old son 
and five little girls who each paid 50 cents a week in tuition. Her school began in an old house near the city dump. She used a packaging crate for her desk and her students' chairs were salvaged from the city dump. Through difficulties too numerous to mention, the school slowly grew. The student body grew from an enrollment of five little girls to a co-ed institution, which became Bethune College. By 1923, when Bethune College merged with Cookman Institute, she had a student body of 600, 32 faculty members, and an $800,000 campus free of debt. Primarily an educator, Ms. Bethune became involved in government affairs. In 1930, President Herbert Hoover appointed her to the White House Conference on Child Health. Several years later, President Franklin D. Roosevelt appointed her as Director of Negro Affairs in the National Youth Administration and as his Special Advisor on Minority Affairs. She also served as a member of the Black Cabinet. In 1945, she was a Special Emissary of the State Department of the United States of the United Nations Conference. Excuse me. Let me read that sentence again. In 1945, she was a special emissary of the State Department of the United Nations Conference. In 1952, she was the personal representative of President Harry S. Truman at Liberia's inauguration ceremonies. Mary Jane McLeod Bethune, the daughter of slaves, has many achievements to her credit and was the recipient of many awards. She was received by lords and ladies in London and Edinburgh. She was blessed by the Pope in Rome. Mrs. Bethune left a legacy to her people that her philosophy of living and serving would be inspirational to those who share her vision of a world peace. On May 18, 1955, Mrs. Bethune, champion of human rights, a woman beloved by all, regardless of race, color, or creed, closed her eyes for the last time. Hello again. Yes, it's me. <laughs> I had to pause the podcast to just promote my monthly newsletter. Are you subscribed to my newsletter? If so, I really thank you for your subscription. It is greatly appreciated. If not, you are missing out. What are you waiting for? Go to my website, www.bloomintoyourbestself.com and sign up. I have two versions of my newsletter. I have a free version and I have a paid version. Both of them are outlined on my website so you can find out what subscription works best for you. Honestly, it's not an excuse for you to not subscribe. I mean, what do you have to lose? You have a free version and you have a paid version. Both versions are high quality. They are superb and you get cultural knowledge dropped on you every single month. So go subscribe. Again, go to my website 
www.bloomintoyourbestself.com. Look under newsletter subscriptions, read the description, see which one works for you. Again, they are both very high quality, regardless of if you have the free version or the paid version and sign up, like sign up. Okay. All right. (laughs) Let's get back into the rest of this podcast. All right, so I am back. Um, so let me just finish up this high, this not high school, this elementary, you know, train of the blackness being in me. And another thing I will never forget about my elementary school days is my mom wrote me a poem when I was in fourth grade, was it? I think it was fourth grade. And you know, elementary is just this weird time, and I just wasn't feeling, you know, like I fit in and. I'm an only child and I didn't have no friends at one point. And she wrote me this poem and the poem was called I'm a Strong Black Girl. And that just was in every sentence. Everything started off with I'm a strong black girl. I'm a strong black girl. And that again was ingrained in me. Like my blackness is beautiful. You know, my blackness is important. My blackness is to be respected. Um, And my grandma would always say throughout all my schooling, like, you need to do good, particularly in math and science. And it wasn't just because I was a girl, but I was a black girl and I needed to be intelligent in those areas. I needed to just, you know, be good with math and science because her whole thinking was people just, you know, wouldn't expect that. Um, So that just followed me throughout school. It followed me throughout high school. And I remember having my first experience with cultural assimilation in a negative way um, when I got to high school. And so all y'all know, I'm from Oakland, but my mama just pulled me up out of the Oakland schools in high school of all time, okay, to pull a child. She done pulled me from high school. So I went to elementary school in Oakland. I went to middle school in Oakland and then I went to high school in Alameda. And so I had to start at high school with all these folks I didn't know. Um, and then we eventually moved to Alameda for the, like the little four, four or five years. Cause I did one year of, um, JC college. And then I moved out on my own and went to my four year college and I moved right on back to Oakland. I had enough Alameda. Um, but I transferred to Encinal High School. And so the vice principal that was at Encinal, she was also, I think she was the principal at Fremont High School in Oakland. And I believe, I forget how we connected, but she knew us. I think I was either, we went up there to talk with her about the school, um, and kind of like the curriculum. And I just didn't, I ended up not going to Fremont, but that would have been the school I would have went to. So when I got to Encinal, I saw her and she acted just like she didn't know who I was. Wasn't even trying to give me or my mama the time of the day, even though we had had like a lengthy conversation with this woman. And so at that point in high school, I realized like cultural assimilation can have a really negative effect within the culture, so to speak, because I realized not all black folks are created equal or want to engage with each with other black folks in the presence of white company. Cause if you guys are familiar with Alameda and Encinal in the Bay area, you know, Encinal, I, I went to school with a lot of white kids, um, more than I was used to, but I think my saving grace 
is most of the kids that got expelled from Oakland schools ended up at Encinal. And so in a way, ironically, my mama probably could have just kept me at Fremont because I ended up going to school with folks that went to Casa, was kicked out of Casa Mine, kicked out of Oakland High, kicked out of Fremont, kicked out of Skyline. I mean, the list goes on and on. So I could have just stayed up in the Oakland schools because I still had the same Oakland problems that she was worried about with folks acting violent and doing all kind of stuff. But anyway, so that happened and I just was like, oh, this this woman is really like not trying to acknowledge me. And then in college, I started having like this weird feeling. So y'all know I moved back to Oakland. And when I grew up, I didn't have much. Like my mama was on section eight. We was on food stamps. You know, part of my college time, I was on section eight and food stamps and do not hold my head down for that at all. Cause it made me who I am. Like I say, I am just a girl from the hood, um, East Oakland to be exact. And so I didn't have no car. And so I was taking bus to BART to bus to Cal State Hayward. And I just felt weird and like drained every day. And I would come home and when I would talk to my mom, I kind of would be like, I just don't feel like myself. I feel like I'm being fake. Like, I don't feel like I know who I am. And she kind of was like, well, you know, you're going like from the hood, you know, you walk into the bus stop, you go into the bar station and then you catch in the bus in Hayward and, you know, then you get into class and you got to be, you know, professional and intelligent and you got to answer the questions and interact in that in educational setting. And then you got to come back home and do it all over again. And so when I got to grad school, I learned that I was code switching and Code switching, as you all know, well, if you don't know, is basically just kind of changing up the language that you naturally engage in, right? And so just assimilating to the language of the primary culture. I'm kind of paraphrasing and putting Narissa's definition into it, but that's basically what it means. And I just was doing that all day, all day, in and out, in and out. And that is when it started to really sink in like me walking around with my blackness and turning my blackness off and turning my blackness on and after a while i got real tired of that and i just was like this is what you go get okay i might pronounce you know my r a little different i might not pronounce all my syllables and that's just what it's gonna be and so you know i just kind of took that with me i slowly started like really really you know, admiring and appreciating my blackness. I'll never forget, you know, for y'all that know Keisha Cole, when she came out, she had like the red hair at the top and a little like brunette or blonde sometime at the bottom. And so I had braided my hair with the red hair all at the top while I was in grad school. And I felt a little out of place, but it was my style. Cause again, this is who I am. I'm from Oakland. Like this is what we doing out here in Oakland. We putting red braids in our hair. And so this is what it is while I'm sitting up in this, you know, psychopathology class. What? And I got an A. Thank you. Right? And so it's just like me really, really feeling like, okay, this is me stepping into my blackness. This is who I am. And it is what it is. And I think another thing I really appreciate about the Black Psychology Project and I know this might seem like I'm going all over the place, but it connects, is really, really learning that we've been doing certain things as Black people 
that folks don't want us to really recognize that we've been doing. And so that one thing that I recently had like this aha moment was my thesis. I wrote a whole thesis on um, suicide rates in African-American males age 14 to 18. Um, And all this research I did, I did so much research and I did so much studying and it was from the Journal of Black Psychology. And a couple of months ago, I was feeling like, oh man, I didn't even really realize like where these journal articles came from. I didn't really even know that we had a journal of black psychology, which is such a lie. Like how did I not realize that with my whole thesis being damn near based off of the journal of black psychology. But the reason is because you in this white society that wants you to feel as though you know, APA is the only way to go. And Ebb host, if you got your camp membership, that is all these journal articles. And you just bypass the fact that there's a whole subscription service with some decades of journal articles written by black psychologists. And it ain't just one, right? And so again, this stuff has been in me for years from as y'all can see childhood on through high school on through, you know, young adult years and on to now, which is very kind of prevalent in what I do, so to speak, right? It's so in me, I can't hold it in no more. And so my encouragement to people and why I'm so passionate about the work that I do, and hopefully this will help some of you is the first thing is to really think about what's in you, right? My blackness been in me and I finally got myself to a place, I want to say, oh, it's been about a good nine years now, almost a decade where I have just been like, I don't care. Like this is Narissa, okay? This is who I am. This is how I look. Sometimes my hair go be fluffy. Sometimes it's going to be braided. Sometimes it's going to be twisted. And that's just what it is. I am a black girl with a little bit of hood swang and tang. And I can get real professional on you if I need to. But I'm going to still be professional with a little bit of slang. And that's because I ain't got time to turn it on and off. Right. And that's been in me. And so I use that as my passion and my driving force in like this like this here, my podcast, in my newsletters that I send out and I write, in the workshops and the talkings and the speaking engagements that I engage in. That is kind of what people get, what's already naturally ingrained in me. And it helps me to do my work so much more effectively because I'm truly, truly just being myself and really just being passionate about what I believe in in regards to the Black culture the black experience, you know, the things that we we go through both good and bad. And the other thing is to just, I continue to press towards following my dream and the way I see fit. And so the way I see fit to follow my dream is to really help people be aware about the black experience and also about how to engage with us. Cause uh, half the time is folks don't be engaging with us appropriately. And not just that, I also want black people to feel empowered, to feel as though they can do it too, to feel validated. And hopefully by seeing me, 
you know, just be this black girl and not denying no part of myself, they can be like, oh, you know what? I can do this too. And I cannot deny any parts of myself and I can still, you know, be the best lawyer that I can be, best doctor, best therapist, you know, best dentist, whatever it is that you are doing as a black professional to just do it as you do you and follow your dreams the way that you see fit. And so for me, the way I see fit is just to simply not water down who I am. I just, I just don't care. I ain't got the energy to do that. And it is what it is. I'm gonna move my head. I might give you a side eye if you come at me incorrect. And that's just what it is. Right. And so, but the big thing is I want to follow my dream being myself and not sugarcoating the black experience to make white people feel comfortable or to make you know, the Latinos or Latinas or Latinx or however you guys want to be be described, you know, and and not to be offensive when I say it like that, but just trying to be mindful that there's many different ways that the Latino community describes themselves. Um, But, you know, not trying to make nobody comfortable. I ain't trying to make nobody comfortable. I want to do this work so that you feel uncomfortable because that's when you are actually doing culturally aware work. When you ain't comfortable and you feeling a little ouchy, right? And then the last thing, which kind of goes to the first thing, is to be authentic when you do this work. Be who you are and be proud of it. It's just plain and simple. Just be who you are and be proud of it. So when I am doing work, I I think one big thing for me is my hair. My hair is such an expression of who I am. Um, and it changes all the time, right? And so sometimes my hair might be braided in two cornrows. Sometimes it might be braided in several because I'm trying to do a real cute braid out. Sometimes it might be in two strand twists, right? Sometimes I might have a scarf on my head just because it's a day where I washed my hair the night before and I got all these plaits in my hair and I don't feel like taking them down because doing the black hair takes forever and I'm appreciative of it. But I might have a scarf on my hair that I dress up with some cute earrings. But for me, I'm not finna go through all of this stuff to try and make you comfortable if you my client or if you somebody I'm doing a workshop for. This is who I am. This is how my hair grew out my head. And I'm not going to burn it out or try to blow it out or try to glue no wig on my head to make you feel more comfortable. And now look, if you black and that's what you do and that's what you want to do, I just want to emphasize that if you want to wear your wigs and rock them, if you want to stretch your hair out with pressing it, then hey, girl, more power to you because that works for some people. But if you doing that, because you're trying to make somebody else comfortable and you actually don't want to do that no more, I would just encourage you, girl, to embrace your blackness, however that is. And if you don't mind doing that and that's something that you actually want to do, on the flip side, embrace your blackness because that's the versatility of us that makes us beautiful. We can straighten our hair. We can play with our hair in all these different styles and it's all beautiful, okay? So... The way I want to do my work is being authentic and being me. And I I think the second piece or the next thing that's most important to me besides my hair is just the way I talk. I'm I'm just, I'm a talk with a little slang. 
I'm not going to talk with this extra high-pitched proper voice to make you feel comfortable. I'm not doing that, okay? So if that is what somebody is wanting, I'm not the therapist for them or I'm not the workshop leader for them, right? I'm going to be authentic in my experience. So anywho, (laughs) that is it for today. Definitely, definitely, definitely a rant. But I really do hope that the rant made sense to you all with kind of like the trajectory of what's been in me and what has been in me since a very young little girl that actually has given me the empowerment and the the courage to just be who I am as this grown, grown woman right now, sitting up in her blackness and hopefully able to instill this in my daughter um, who is gonna grow up to be a black woman as well. And so, you know, I just wanted to share a little bit about what's been in me, you know, and like where all of this passion came from so that y'all can get to know a little bit more about me on this first Wednesday of Black History Month, right? Um, So that was it for today's show. The cultural tidbit is I want you to really, really think about what are you passionate about pertaining to culture and really think about how you can do that as your authentic self and how you can press towards making that dream happen in the best way that fits for you um, and just really go out there and get it. And if you are not passionate about something pertaining to culture, um, I would just say why? Because culture is everywhere. So you gotta, you gotta be able to see it and you gotta be able to find some kind of passion in it so that you can be culturally aware and start being part of the work and actually doing some stuff in regards to increasing cultural awareness and sensitivity, okay? And I also want you all to look up either Ida B. Wells or Mary Jane McLeod Bethune or both of them. I'll spell them, I, (laughs) tongue-tied, I will spell their names for you in my show notes, but just look them up. Um, See what about their work inspires you or motivates you. Um, and just see if you can kind of build on that in a way. And so for next week, I am not telling y'all what the episode is about. Um, I'm actually not telling y'all for the whole month in light of just having some blackness and encouraging blackness. Just know that we're going to be all about blackness for the month of February. Like I'm always about blackness, but I'm going to really, really, really be about blackness in the month of February. And I just want to build some suspense. So for y'all to know what I'm going to be talking about, you just got to tune in every week. Just plain and simple. That's what you got to do. That's how you go know what I'm talking about. Tune in next Wednesday. Make sure you subscribe. And until the next time we chat, I really hope that you do something that'll help you bloom into your best self. And I am so excited for you to come back and join me so that you can walk another day in my culture.